I see one of our newest church members are in worship today. Our baby uh, Olivia has joined us. Olivia Zion Neufeld is joining us for the first time. Uh, don't touch the baby unless your hands are clean. All right. We are in the year of wisdom, as you can see, the theme for the year. And in the first Sunday of the year, I preached a message called Making the Most of Every Opportunity. Making the Most of Every Opportunity. And in it, we looked at Psalm 90, verse 12, which says, Teach us to number our days. When we understand that our time on earth is limited, it helps us to be wise stewards of this valuable resource called time. We also looked at Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 17. And we talked about whether you're in Korea for a limited time or you are a student or you are single or you have an opportunity to serve in missions. Don't just think about what life will be like once you've graduated, once you've moved, or once you're married. Make the best use of the time today. And that word time we saw in the Greek is the word kairos, which means divinely appointed time. Make the most of every opportunity is what the scripture is saying. And in uh, New, New King James, it says, redeem the time. Rescue from loss your divinely appointed seasons. And I also talked about how in the Greek it says, be very careful how you live. And that word careful, the Greek akribos, can also be translated diligently. Be very diligent about how you live. Be very precise about how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That was my message First Sunday of 2014, making the most of every opportunity. If you didn't get it, I want to recommend that you go and listen to it because it opens up the sermon series that we're continuing today on wisdom with time. I also want to mention a wonderful message on wisdom that not everyone may have received, which was delivered at our Friday fire a week ago. Pastor Paul Yu, our Sydney campus pastor, preached an awesome message about how wisdom is meant to be learned in a community, not in a cave. And the very book of Proverbs was meant to be read by young men together with a teacher or a father. It was meant to be read aloud together. Foolishness, Pastor Paul talked about, is not a matter of whether we have it or not. It's usually a matter of what areas are we foolish in. Because all of us, we struggle with a little bit of foolishness. And Pastor Paul talked about how in order to really live in wisdom in every, every area of our lives, we need to learn how to receive rebukes, and we need to learn how to give rebukes. His message was called, slap me some wisdom. You know, we need some more slapping going on in the body of Christ. And he talked about how when receiving rebuke, it's important to be humble, because pride will get in the way. And to be secure in God's love in order to receive well. And when giving, it's important to have both courage and gentleness. It's a powerful message. Slap me some wisdom. Uh, Go check it out on our podcast. It's from our Friday Fire prayer meeting. Last Sunday, Pastor Aaron preached about wisdom with time. A message called Overcoming Procrastination. 
She talked about how procrastination is like a credit card. You know, it's fun to use it, and you keep on using it, you get numb to using it, but eventually somebody's got to pay that bill. And uh, she talked about five reasons people procrastinate, indecision, perfectionism, fear, anger, laziness. And she talked about why we got to eliminate procrastination from our lives because it steals our rest, it leads to poverty, and it is not a kingdom mindset. We got to overcome procrastination. Amen? Amen. And by the way, I noticed that she received over 270 views on YouTube. And then I think like hundreds of views as well on Ustream. And then I looked at my messages and they only have about, they only have about 60 views. I don't know what's going on here. Anyway, that's not what message is about. Uh, I do want to recommit myself to preaching shorter sermons. So Matthew Walker, I think shorter sermons will also get more views, right? That's true. Uh, Hold up that sign for me at 35 minutes today, okay? At 35 minutes, Matthew Walker will hold up a sign, and when he holds up his sign, you're all going to clap spontaneously, all right? Uh, Let's practice right now. Matthew, go ahead. All right. Very good. Uh, Don't feel rude. Just go ahead and go for it. And I will go ahead and land the sermon when I hear everyone clapping. All right. That's my commitment to you. And that's my commitment to get some more views on YouTube. (laughs) How's my wife have like four times more views than I do? Anyway, today I'm going to continue my preaching on the sermon series, Wisdom with Time. Wisdom with time. So this will be a part three. The Bible says in Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. As people of God, we love God's presence, don't we? We love his presence. In his presence, there is joy. In his presence, there is healing. There is power. You get to experience his love in his presence. His presence is. It's powerful. Amen? The psalmist says in Psalm 27, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple, in that place where God's people gather and worship. One thing I ask the Lord. We love God's presence. Amen? But today, I want to talk about the power of your presence. We all know about God's presence. We all agree and we celebrate God's presence. But we want to, I want to talk to you today about the power of your presence. Because I don't think you understand how powerful your presence is. Your presence is. Is powerful. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that your presence is powerful. Look them in the eyes. Come on, just take two seconds. Look them in the eyes and then say it. There is power in your presence. Today I'm going to talk about three. Ways, three areas in which I want you to learn 
how to be fully present. Because there is power in your presence. So three areas I'm going to talk about. Your relationship with God. Your relationship with others. And your workplace. Three areas where it is crucial that you learn. How powerful your presence is. You know, I was watching a PBS Frontlines TV investigative report called League of Denial. I don't know if any of you heard about it. It's about American football. It's called League of Denial. It's about how in the NFL, when you play football, American football, there's a lot of hard hits that happen. Not only during the game, but during practice during the high school years, during your college years. And when you hit each other and men are getting bigger as they take creatine and they learn how to work out better and they're getting faster. You know, I talked about how momentum is mass times velocity. Whereas they get just slightly bigger and slightly faster, it creates greater momentum. And when they hit each other at that greater momentum, the hits are much more devastating. And these accumulative effects of these hits can result in permanent brain damage. And the NFL just likes to deny it and say, none of these things are true. There's no connection. It's all incidental. And so PBS did this very controversial investigative report. doesn't mean I agree with everything I saw in this report, but it's very interesting. You You can find it on YouTube. It's called League of Denial. Anyway, in it, they begin by featuring a Pittsburgh Steeler Hall of Fame center player named Mike Webster. He's a, he's a legend in the city of Pittsburgh. And it talks about how after he retired from football, he couldn't live a normal life. Because he would forget things. Or when he would talk to his family, he would get very abrasive, irritable, very angry easily, was very impatient. And he started to really deteriorate. His wife ended up leaving and divorcing him. His, his parent, uh, the family just kind of broke up. He just was like homeless at one point, living in his truck. To go from Hall of Fame player to living in a truck, eventually he brought these lawsuits against the NFL. And he was one of the first players to medically get checkups about how football has damaged his brain. Brought this lawsuit where the NFL very viciously defended themselves. Because you have to think, if uh, parents start thinking football results in permanent brain damage, who would let their children play football? And when, you're, when the children stop playing football, what would happen? There's no more NFL. 10, 15 years, there will be no more NFL. I don't want that to happen. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand football is a violent sport. There's a lot of you know, dark, negative things about football. But look, I love football. Right, don't hate on football, okay? I believe it's a God-given sport because there's a lot of kingdom analogies in football. So I, I believe there's a lot of good in football. But, yes, we should be aware of the effects of concussion, head injuries, uh, long-term. Anyway, this guy, he eventually dies at the age of 50. And uh, his sons are interviewed in this video. And they explain that how their father couldn't hold a train of thought for more than 30 seconds. They'd be talking to him. And then he'll just trail off on some tangent. And then they show a video of Mike Webster uh, being interviewed after he retired. And he just starts talking about one thing. And then he starts talking about something completely different. 
And then he just feels really lost. And he's like, I don't know what I'm really talking about. I'm just tired right now. I can't focus. And it's really sad to see. The video also features Lay Steinberg. You don't know who he is, but how many of you guys know the movie Jerry Maguire? Lay Steinberg was the super agent that the movie was uh, inspired after. And at one time, Steinberg was representing 21 of the 28 starting quarterbacks in the NFL. And he saw all kinds of serious injuries among the players he represented. But he said the most frightening incident was the one that happened to Troy Aikman. In the 1994 NFC Championship game. Troy Aikman was a Dallas uh, Cowboys quarterback. During the game, Aikman took a knee to the head. Like somebody rushed him, he fell down, and the guy's knee hit his head. And he suffered a concussion, came out of the game. The Cowboys eventually won that game. And while the whole city was celebrating, their star quarterback was in a dark hospital room. Completely disoriented, not knowing where he was. And so Steinberg recalls the um, dialogue, and he says it like this. He he says, Troy Aitman tells him, Lay, where am I? And Steinberg says, well, you're in the hospital. Aitman says, well, why am I here? Steinberg says, well, because you suffered a concussion today. Aitman says, well, who did we play? Steinberg says, the 49ers. Did we win? Yes, you won. Did I play well? Yeah, you you played really well. So what's that mean? It means you're going to the Super Bowl next week or two weeks from now. That wasn't the frightening part. About five minutes later, Troy Aikman turns to Steinberg and asks him, Lay, where am I? You're in the hospital. Why am I here? You suffered a concussion. Uh, Who did we play? The 49ers. The whole dialogue played out exactly verbatim. Ten minutes later, Troy Aikman asks again, Lay, where am I? And so in this um, video, it kind of documents the effects of concussions and head injuries on football players. Very interesting documentary. Doesn't mean I agree with everything in it. But anyway, it's very interesting. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this video is you don't really see how important your ability to be fully present is Until you see someone who has lost that ability, temporarily or permanently. In the case of Troy Aitman, it was temporary. In the case of Mike Webster, it was completely permanent. How precious it is, this ability to give someone your undivided attention. To just stop whatever they're doing and to be fully present with you. That is a powerful ability. And it's an ability that we must understand the power of in order for us to walk and live with wisdom in all areas of our lives. And to walk and to steward time with wisdom. When we realize the power of our presence, we'll be able to steward the commodity of time much better. So let me talk about number one. Your relationship with God. The power of your presence in your relationship with God. When you have your quiet time, you may have a million things racing through your mind. But it's very important that you understand that when you have your quiet time, your secret time with God, your prayer time with God, 
whether you do it at a Starbucks with your headphones on or whether you go into like a walk-in closet because you're, cause you're uh, rich like that. You, you, you're, you have a walk-in closet. That's not how you know you made it in life when you have a walk-in closet that you can use as a quiet time room. Whether you meet God in Starbucks or in some closet... It's important to understand that when you do that, even though God is invisible, God is a person, and it's important for you to be fully present in that moment. Some people never get this concept. And so therefore, they just kind of treat quiet times as a checklist, a to-do list that I just got to get through. But you see, it's not that we as Christians, we're encouraged to do quiet times. We got to understand, we have the privilege of having quiet time. Because when I talk about spending time with my wife, I don't say I got I to gotta do quality time with my wife. You know, I, I, get, I, I talk about it as I get to have quality time with my wife. That's because you're, you're spending time with a person. And when you have quiet time with God, you're also spending time with a person. So even though you have a million things racing through your head, it's important in that moment that you take time to slow your mind down. And give God your undivided attention. I know it's difficult. And some of you, you may need like weeks before you learn how to get in the habit of slowing down your mind, slowing down your heart, and being fully present. But you got to make it happen. Psalm 46 verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Bible says in Psalm 46, be still. Still, and know that I am God. If you don't know how to be still, if you don't know how to be fully present in your relationship with God, your relationship with God is just going to stay shallow for the rest of your life. You got to learn how to be still. In the NASB, it says, cease striving and know that I am God. When you spend time with God, Stop the striving. Stop writing down what you got to do for that day. That's not the purpose of that time. If, if I say, um, hey, Isaac, I'm going to meet up with you this week, Tuesday morning. We'll get some breakfast, get some good breakfast. And the moment I meet Isaac, I start, oh, I'm, hold on, time out, Isaac. And I just start writing things down that I got to do. And Isaac starts, oh, let me tell you about my week. And let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you, oh, I had this wonderful time with Tina the other day. And I just, I'm just so in love. I'm just singing love songs in my heart all day. I'm like, hold on. What you say, Isaac? Hold on. I'm, I'm working on something. Hold on. I'm going to write some stuff down. If I'm doing that the entire time, Isaac's going to not want to spend time with me again. Why do you think it's any different from, with God? God's not like insecure and taking things personally. But you have to understand God is still a person. It's not that God is created in our image. We're created in his image. So the personality traits of a person, the the character traits of a person, the relational abilities of a person are actually just reflections of a personal God. When you're at church, you also got to learn how to be fully present. The Bible says in his presence, there is fullness of joy. But in order to experience that fullness of joy, you got to be fully present. Let me address something right now that I've been seeing go unaddressed for many, many months. Today, when I walked into the service, it was 115. 
All right, when I talk about me, I'm talking about you first, okay? Don't ask why I came in late. Just zip it for a second. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. I walked in at 115, and currently we are averaging about 260, 270 people in attendance here at Hillside. At e one they're averaging about 100, 110. At Seaside, they're averaging between 40 and 50 people. Sydney, they have about, you know, a dozen to 20 people. But when I walked in here, and I see the attendance numbers every week, 260, 270, there were 30 empty seats in the back. 30 to 40 empty seats. It's 115. We're on our last song. And there are 30 empty seats in the sanctuary. I don't know what your theology is. If you happen to meet God and you experience his presence on your way to church, I don't know, maybe, maybe you are experiencing that and you love that so much that you end up spending more time in the parking lot than, than you intended. But if you are going to experience his presence, you got to be fully present. And I don't know what your theology is, but let me tell you something. My theology of worship, worship, this praise and worship, we lift up to God every week together. This is the main event. This is part of worship. It is a big aspect of worship. It is not a filler time before the sermon. I know you love my sermon and I know that, oh, I just want to hear his sermon. If all, if all I got is his sermon, I'm good. All right, great. I don't know if that's what you were really thinking, but if you think of that, great. But you know what? The, ser- the worship time is not just filler time until the, uh, until the sermon. The praise and worship is the main event. It's part of the entire holistic aspect of worship. So what am I trying to say? Y'all need to get to church on time. What time is our service here? One o'clock. One o'clock. Get to church on, on time. The, the, the 30, 40 seats in the back should not be empty at one o'clock. It should be completely packed. And if, you're, if you have faith that you want to meet God, that you're expecting God to meet you here, you would show up on time. But maybe you're just thinking, oh, autopilot, you know, I'll just show up. Maybe God will touch me today. Maybe God will speak to me. What kind of, what kind of faith is that? That's just complete unbelief. You got to show up on time. Okay, I'll stop here. <laughs> now, I'm going to turn that back on me. Let me confess that I've fallen into a bad habit of preparing my sermons very late. Okay? I, I work well with deadlines. Okay, that's the way my strength finder is. I, I, I work well with deadlines, but sometimes I push that deadline too tight. All right, and so I understand. Pray for me. <laughs> Pray for me. I confess that this is a bad habit. I want to be in the room with y'all. I want to experience how the Holy Spirit is moving and then come up, grab the mic and do a little, do a little uh, uh, roll with the punches and, and maybe minister to some people. But I haven't been doing that lately. I'm sorry. I've been robbing y'all of that. I've been calling people out. Prophesying, praying for them. I've been doing that in a while. That's because I'm not here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's confess together our sins. But people of God, you got to show up on time. If you're going to experience God in his house, you got to be on time. 
when our soul is at rest and our minds are at peace, that's the best time when you can hear God's voice clearly. When your mind is full of fear and anxiety, you can't hear God, no matter how hard you try. But when your mind is at peace and you just come before God, no particular agenda, you will hear the voice of God. Impression, vision, prophetic word, even an audible voice maybe now and then. However way God manifests his voice to you, because he can do it a lot of ways. But you will hear it most clearly when you are fully present, when your soul is at rest. You see, church, God can be best experienced in the present. God is not in the future. God is not just in the good old days of your past when you experienced God in your you know, previous years. God is the God of the living. He is the God of the presence, present. God says, I'm here in the here and now. Where are you? There's a story in the, in the Gospels of Mary and Martha. Jesus goes over Mary and Martha's house. And the moment they get there, Jesus says, oh, I'm going to do the main event right now. We're going to eat a little bit later. I don't know what Jesus said, but he's like, the main event is I'm going to teach y'all. So start gathering right here. I'm gather like, just like this. Like people just gathered around Jesus and he just started teaching them. And Martha, you know, God bless her heart. She was like busy preparing sandwiches, preparing, you know, drinks, preparing refreshments for everybody. And she had the servant's heart. We can't despise that. But she came up to Jesus And she started commanding Jesus what to do. Now, you don't want to command Jesus what to do, okay? It works the other way around. But she says, Jesus, don't you see Mary? And what was Mary doing? Mary was just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha's like, Mary, come on, Mary, Mary. Girl, I'm going to hurt you. Mary, come on. And Mary's just fixated on the teachings of Jesus. And so Martha eventually fed up. She says, Jesus, tell Mary to come and help me. And Jesus said, well, hold on, chill, girl. <laughs> Mary has chosen the better, and it won't be taken from her. Martha, Martha, you're busy with a lot of different things. But look, Mary has chosen the best thing. She's chosen the better. You're trying to serve up all this physical food. I'm trying to serve up some spiritual food. There's a different menu that I'm dishing out over here. But you're so busy serving everybody, you're not nourishing your soul. I'm in the here and now, Martha. Meet me here right now. God is the God of the present. You're going to experience God's presence the most powerfully in the here and now. So it's important that when you're in your quiet time, that you be fully present. That when we have church services, prayer meetings... That you come on time and be fully present. I mean, how sad would it be if Holy Spirit decides to start moving with great power during the first 10 minutes of next Sunday sermon, uh, next Sunday service. So from 1 o'clock to 1.15, God's Spirit just starts moving powerfully, healing people, breakthroughs, like money is just dropping out of the air all of a sudden. There's like coins all over the floor. We're like, where, where all these coins come from? Gold, dust, I don't know, all kinds of stuff, right? God starts manifesting his power and glory. Very powerful people crying, inner healing. Everything's taking place for the first 15 minutes. 
and only about one-third of the room is here. So one-third of the room is rejoicing, and then two-thirds is walking in there like, what's going on? What's happened? What a shame if that happened. God's heart is for all God's people to be fully present before he starts to move with his presence. Be on time, y'all. Be on time. God loves your presence. So be fully present. This is one of the reasons I think um, I personally struggle with when I have quiet time. Quieting my soul before God. Like a child weaned before his mother. There's a Bible verse that says that, you know. You know, you ever see a baby? The baby, the baby ah, starts crying and then you change the diaper, you feed the baby. And the baby just, just still. Just taking in your love. And you're just like, receive my love, baby. I love you, baby. <laughs> baby, I love you. And the baby just like, I know. Thank you. The baby just receiving that love. That's, that's the picture of how we as adults, we need to come to God. But I, I admit, because of my personality type, I'm very goal-oriented. It's very difficult for me to be like that little baby. Said, Lord, I just love your presence. Thank you. Oh, wait. No, hold on. Time out, God. Time out. Time out. Oh, oh, this is real good. Oh, this is sermon notes. Oh, oh, real good. This is great material. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, oh, David on. Oh, I think he's struggling in this area. Let me pray for David. David on. I pray for David on, Lord. Lord, help him. Help him, Lord. Take some notes for David on. Oh, oh, oh. Let me, let me, let me deal with over here. Uh, uh, uh. Dating protocol. Oh, this person. Oh, dating protocol. Oh, wait, wait. They're getting married soon. All right. Well, uh, I can't wait to announce him. You know, if I'm doing that the whole time, and which I do, okay, I confess. This is why I think our church's house of prayer ministry is powerful. Because when you go to K1 Prayer Tabernacle, you have to understand that it's two full hours of just being in his presence. We do some intercession toward the end. But the vast majority of it is just gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. You know, we say that with the psalmist, but how many actually do that? Just gaze upon, Lord, I just love you. We love, we love, we love your presence. What time is it? You know, that's what we most of us do, you know? But like how many of you can spend two hours just in his presence, gazing upon his beauty? Lord, I just love you. That's what you got to do when you go to K1. Very uncomfortable for me. It, it usually takes me a good 45 minutes just to be like, just, just sit still. <laughs> sit still. Be a baby. Be a baby. <laughs> just sit still. Very difficult. Very difficult. But I'm telling you, very important. There's power in your presence. God loves your presence. I know you love his presence. Let me give you a little revelation. He loves your presence. But you got to give it to him. Second is in our relationship with others. In our relationship with others, one of the most powerful ways in which you can manifest your love is by being fully present. I thought I ran out of time already. I'm sorry. We'll keep going. In our relationship with others, we got we got one of the powerful ways you can manifest love is by just being fully present with somebody. It's not getting them gifts. You know, although gifts are, you know, really cool. Some people's love language is gifts. It's not just writing them letters, although some people it's words. But there's also a love language. If you study the four love languages, there's acts of service, gifts, words of affirmation, and then there's quality time. Oh, and there's physical touch. I'm sorry. All right, there's five. Okay. 
I just rewrote the book. I'm sorry. <laughs> Five love languages. Physical touch. Now, I, I, I have a little bit of physical touch. I'm not that big on physical touch, but I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do what I got to do, show you some love. But quality time. Quality time is a powerful manifestation of your love to somebody. This means that, you know, some of us, we just spend time with people when it happens incidentally. That means that you don't get very deep with friends that, whose schedules don't line up with yours. And then you end up losing potentially deep friends and best friends just because their schedule doesn't line up with yours anymore. And that's really sad. We should learn how to choose our friends. You may not like everybody who has the same schedule as you. But maybe the, the friend that you've had from the past, you really like them. You should choose to invest in that relationship. That means you've got to schedule appointments with them. And once you schedule an appointment, a dinner, a lunch, coffee, whatever, you've got to be punctual. Just like to church, well, you've got to show up. And preferably on time. Especially if that person is time-oriented. If both of you are event-oriented, you can just say, oh, we'll meet around 6 o'clock. And you guys are fine. But if the person is more time-oriented and you say 6 o'clock, they're going to show up at 5.55 and not just wait for you and you show up at 6.15 and go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm 15 minutes late. No, to, to them, you're 20 minutes late because they were waiting there from 5.55. And they're very ticked. They don't feel love right now. You're at a deficit when you meet them. Anyway, you got you to you make your schedule and then be punctual and then show up. Keep your appointments. Be physically present. Or if, you, if it's like a Skype call. You know, so many of us, we make Skype calls and then we don't keep Skype calls. I, I, myself included. I'm sorry. I don't know why. But Skype calls are a little bit hard to keep for some reason. We just forget them easily. We got to write that down and follow through. All right. Hallelujah. All right. Well. So we're at the 35-minute mark now. All right. But Holy Spirit just said, <laughs> look, I'm here in the, I'm fully present right now. And I hear the voice of the Lord very clearly. He just gave me the okay for 10 more minutes. All right. So I'm going to land, I'm going to land this, but I'm going to land it in 10 minutes, which is still pretty good. 45 minutes is still pretty good. All right. Here we go. For the married couples as husbands, your presence is powerful. Be fully present with your wife. Maybe you have a busy schedule. Well, make spending quality time with your wife a big priority, a top priority in your busy schedule. And when you actually spend time together, the goal is not to just show up to the appointment. The goal is how you spend that time. When you actually show up to your date together, be fully present. Talk to each other. Get off your laptop. Get off of your phones. Exercise self-control over your social media consumption. You're having shallow connections with 20 people. And you are doing it at the cost of this very important relationship that God has given to you in your life with your spouse. This is a very poor trade, if you ask me. Give your spouse or your best friend, or some family member, give them your undivided attention. That's one of the most powerful ways you can show your love. Don't just turn on the TV and they ignore each other. 
unless you're watching something that you're both interested in, then enjoy it together. Delight in it together. Talk about whatever. Make eye contact during the TV show. Whatever. But if it's only one of you are interested, you're not actually having quality time with that person. Fathers, now that we got a lot of babies coming into the, into the house, fathers, be fully present with your children, even when they are babies. Because, you know, ba- you, you're thinking, oh, this baby not going to remember nothing. <laughs> that's, that's my practical thinking, I'll admit. My practical thinking is when I have a baby, I'll just spend some time, but I don't have to spend that much time. I'll spend time with them when they start remembering things around three years old. And then I'll just be like, Daddy, Daddy spent all kinds of time with you, didn't he? You know? <laughs> but he won't remember year one and two, right? No, actually, well, the thing about babies is babies are spiritual beings, just like we, you and I are. And they actually have uh, a strange memory, even about their earliest years. And if there's trauma there, or if there's weird things that happen there, or there's an abandonment, the child grows up with abandonment issues, whether they mem- remember explicitly or not. So fathers, we got to spend time with our children, even when they're babies, because your presence is powerful. You cannot withdraw it. Be fully present. There are people in your life who want your presence. They need your presence in their lives because for them, you are the only one that manifests Christ to them. They need your presence. You know, as followers of Christ, our presence is particularly powerful because the Bible says that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. You know, you by yourself and your presence is powerful, but you and Jesus, oh, it's game over. People experience breakthrough. You don't even have to, like, be all preachy. You shouldn't be preachy. You just want to share in a natural, organic way, authentic way. And when you do that, you're going to manifest Christ to them. And you're also going to manifest love to them and the love of God the Father. So don't look down on the power of your presence. Here's some practical tips. When you spend time with a person, learn to be fully present by turning off your phone. Making eye contact. Oh, let me, let me rewind. Turning off your phone. I need to turn off my phone more often. You know why? Because when I have a Philadelphia Eagles game and I have a football game to watch, and I got to watch it on replay because, you know, I didn't get to watch it live, what do I do? I turn off all my notifications. I don't care if somebody had a baby, somebody got engaged. I don't care. That's all going to wait until my football game is over because I cannot risk Knowing the results of the football game through somebody, somebody you know, posting on their Facebook, oh, the Eagles lost. <laughs> I can't afford to see that come up on my phone and then ruin the game for me. So I turned that joint off. If, what I do for my football game, I got to learn how to do for the most important relationships in my life, including when I spend time with God. Just turn that joint off. Number two, make eye contact. Body language is like what people say, 80, 90% of communication. Like you can say the right words, but if your body language and your facial expressions don't match the words, people don't receive it. <laughs> You're saying you love me, but body la- make eye contact. Now, in Korean culture, you're not supposed to make eye contact directly with an adult. So, you know, people sometimes look down, but don't look all the way down at your feet. 
Look at their mouth. Look at their nose or something. <laughs> Glance up there at their eyes now and then. Because, you know, adults now and then, Korean adults now and then, they're, they're a little bit more open to that. But if you look at them right in the eye, they're going to be like, well, what's wrong with this kid? What you look at me, my eye? What you look at me like that for? Like, you don't want that. So, so with Korean adults, you got to be culturally sensitive, right? Culturally sensitive. But anyway, make eye contact. Use body language that says, I like being with you. Number three, listen intently. Listen intently. If you make it your goal that when, this is how you become a good listener. Summarize what people say. Okay? So be, great listeners, you know, you talk to them and you're just like, wow, you understand me. It's not like just you're listening. Thank you for listening. Now, people don't want to just be heard. People want to be understood. That's how one makes a great listener. So if you just summarize it or empathize. There's a difference between summarizing and then empathizing. Some people, sometimes people don't want a summary. If you give them a summary, they'll be like, I, I know I just said that. <laughs> so you're saying that you want to move to New York and you want to get into the fashion industry. What, why are you doing that? Stop that. Like sometimes a summary is not fitting. Instead, what you want to do is you want to summarize the emotion that they're feeling. That's empathy. And so you say, oh, even though they didn't say it, you, you go, oh, so you're feeling sad about moving down to Australia and saying goodbye to your friends. They're like, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's how you can be fully present. Listen intently. And then ask, number four, ask thoughtful questions. Questions. Don't just give answers. Men, men, men of God. All the men in the room. If you want to know how to romance a woman, okay, ask double the amount of questions Rather than trying to provide answers when you have a conversation with a girl you like. Okay? Because women, they communicate a little differently. They will say the obvious. Men, they're like, why are you saying the obvious? That's obvious. Stop doing that. For, for, for women, they like to articulate the obvious. And they're not looking for you to solve everything. So, men of God, just learn how to ask thoughtful questions. So a woman shares something she's struggling with. She's not looking for you to, you know, well, well three things. I just want to give you a solution for what you're struggling with. She, all she wants to hear is, so how's that making you feel? Man, start for questions. Third, third, at your workplace. When you are at work, be fully present. You know, there's this thing called the TGIF phenomenon in America. TGIF. So actually, they have a, they have a TV sitcom, uh, you know, whole night that they, they, they used to call it TGIF. It stands for Thank God It's Friday. They even have a restaurant named after TGI. It's this whole concept where people, they begin to despise their work week and only look forward to the weekend. Where they can party and spend time with their friends, be with their family. And so this TGIF phenomenon and mindset has caused people to hate their work week, which causes them to be absent at work, killing their productivity, their creativity. And they only look forward to the weekend. But here's a little revelation for you. You spend the majority of your week at work. Is that true? You only spend a fraction of your time here at church. The majority of your time 
spent is at work. Now, don't you think for a moment that God cares about how you spend the majority of your week? Do you really think all God is interested is TGIF? Oh, Jesus is going up there. Oh, thank God it's Friday. Thank me it's Friday. Hallelujah. <laughs> Jesus is going TGIF, culture other than heaven? No. All I care about is the offerings for missions and evangelism that they're going to take this weekend. All I care about is a sermon that's going to be preached on this weekend. No. Here's the thing. Work matters to God. Even if you're not in the ministry. You're in the, in the finance sector. You're in teaching. You're in uh, entrepreneurship. Film. Fashion. God cares about your work. It matters to him. There is no difference between secular or sacred. Every call of God is sacred. There is value in work because God assigned value to it when he created Adam and Eve. In fact, God, if you read the Genesis account, he works and he creates the world. He works, he works, he works. And then what do we do on the seventh day? He rests. If you, all you do is rest and rest and rest and then work, that's completely backward. That's called idleness. And that's a different message I'll preach. But if you're spending five to six days of your week at work, let me tell you, it matters to God. And so when you're at work, learn to be fully present. Release the power of your presence. Don't just go through the status quo and just go through the nine to five and just go through... You know, maybe there's not opportunities at your workplace for you to excel and and be creative and and put input. But that season is not going to last forever. The favor of God is upon you. There's going to be promotion for you ahead. As you are faithful with small things, God's going to entrust to you bigger assignments. But because all you're thinking is TGIF, God is like, look, I want to give you a bigger assignment, but you're not ready for it. Because you're not being faithful with just these small things. You know, you got to learn to be faithful and then you get the promotions and God gives you a greater stewardship. And then you have a voice from which you can speak. But you got to be fully present. That means that when you get to work, you don't open up Facebook and just, oh, oh, oh look what. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, look what Jisoo put up. Look at this crazy picture. Look at, she dyed her hair blonde. Oh, she dyed her hair pink. Oh, look at this. Oh, it's crazy. This is Emmaus students. Look at all these crazy things. I wish I was back in college. Three hours goes by, and then your boss walks into the room, and you, oh, you switch the window real quick. Your boss is like, how's your day? Oh, it's going great. It's going great. Uh, where's that report? Oh, I'll get it to you. I'll get it to you real soon. I need that report. I need, the, I need a detail-oriented eye on that report. This is, this got, this got a million, it's a million-dollar uh, deal. I, I need you to give, give a detail-oriented eye. Oh, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you a detail-oriented eye. Don't worry, boss. Boss walks away. <laughs> Back to Facebook. That's not being fully present at work. That is the image of a thief. Because that boss has been assigned by God. To pay you for your work. But there needs to be a mutual edification. 
You give him good work, he gives you good pay. But if you're thinking, oh, I'm getting underpaid here. Man, I got, you got too much pride in your life. I, I'm getting underpaid here. You know what? I'm going to make sure I do the least amount of work because they're giving me the least amount of pay. Let's face it. That's what some people think. I will give it my best if they would double my salary. That's what some people think. But that, that is not how God wants you to operate at your workplace. It's not a surprise to him where you're working. In fact, your boss may have been like, I want to give this person $45,000 a year. And then God could have did this crazy thing on him right before he, you know, he gave you the contract. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to give him 35000 a year. And it may be the very hand of God that set your salary number. And God actually wants you to prove faithful before you move up. But you're missing out on all that. Because you got the attitude of a thief. You got the attitude of an idle worker trying to do the least. The Bible says God himself is always at work. Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God who works in you. Romans 8.28 says we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. God is always at work. That means the majority of your time spent on earth, God wants you to be productive and God wants you to do work. Let me close with some practical applications. This applies to anybody and everybody, whether you're in the ministry or whether you're in the marketplace. Here's some practical applications of how you can be fully present at work. Number one revelation that most people don't get. Go to sleep early. Go to sleep early. Go to sleep early. That is the voice of the Lord right now. For everybody watching on video, everybody in this room. Go to sleep early. You caffeine addict. Let me, let me talk to you. You can depend on coffee for that pickup now and then. But if you're doing it every single day and still going to sleep at 3 a.m. And thinking, well, well I got coffee. <laughs> I'll beat this. I can stay up late and still come to uh, work on time because I got coffee. (laughs) That's coffee. You know, five years of that, and you're going to look like you're 50 years old. (laughs) Because you think you're beating the system. (laughs) You're just beating your body. And God is the one who designed sleep. He created it so that you cannot run away from sleep. You need it every day. He designed it that way. He could have designed it where we, we only need sleep once every three days. That would be awesome, God. <laughs> but he didn't design it that way. He wants you to go to sleep every single day. Why? Because he wants you to go to sleep at night. And although you have all these things on your mind, all these things to worry about, he wants you to just go to sleep. And it is one of the most powerful ways, expressions of trusting God every single day. All these things are left undone. But God says, look, I know you got a lot of things to do. but Just go to sleep. All right, God, I trust you. I don't know how the sermon's going to write itself by tomorrow. But I'm going to just go to sleep. And when you are getting adequate rest, it actually helps you to give your undivided attention in the workplace. 
If you're not getting adequate rest, your whole work day is going to feel stressful, more anxious. It's going to require more energy to get through a day than if you got a good night's rest. This is a wisdom that personally I did not follow until after I got married. Well after I got married. And I'm still learning even today. <laughs> but you know what? I'll admit, when I was a high school student, the internet started getting popular. So we had America Online, AOL. <laughs> Welcome. You've got mail. Oh, yeah. I used to do that AOL stuff until like 2, 3 in the morning as a high school student. And I would still wake up at 6.30 in the morning, go to high school, get straight A's, and, and be involved. I was the Korea Student Association president. I was on the wrestling team. I was on the donut selling committee. I don't know. I was yearbook. I was a copy editor for the yearbook. I was, I was involved with all these things. I felt like I'm Superman. I can do anything. That's high school. But that same mentality didn't change when I got to college. And I was like, I'm Superman. <laughs> When I got to college, man, I could not keep up that pace. I could not do nearly as much as I could do because my body was telling me, you're not a teenager anymore. And so, but, I, but then the sleep habit never kicked off. So I was still sleeping at 2.30. All throughout college, I slept at 2.30. And then when I graduated from college, I continued that pace, 2.30. I just couldn't kick out of that habit. And it wasn't really until I got married that I started sleeping at 1.30. And I have an app, if you want to see. I have an iPhone app called Sleep Cycle. And some people hate it. Some people like it. I love it. It actually measures how uh, uh, you put it under your pillow when you go to sleep. And it measures your movements. And so when you actually are in deep sleep, which is the most restful, recuperating uh, sleep, uh, it actually measures it. And it tells you that you got good quality sleep. If you have three cycles of deep sleep, you, 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 you did a good night's rest. But if you got like diarrhea and stuff, you keep getting up during the night, that's not a good night's rest, no matter how many hours of sleep you got. So, I mean, it, it measures that. And so when I started to see my progress, I'm still sleeping at 2 in the morning. I looked at this app, and I was like, man, i got to change my ways. So, you know, I'll go seven days, sleep at midnight, and I'll be back to 2.30 in the morning, you know. And so it was a hard habit to kick out of. But let me tell you, as I have hit 30, <laughs> and people start saying, Pastor Christian, you're losing more hair. Pastor Christian... You look so old. And I actually, when I was 23 years old, okay, when I was just graduated from NYU, New York University, I went to dinner with some college students from New Jersey. And this college student, he was like one year younger than me. He asked, so, uh, so how old are you, Christian? I was like, well, want you to take a guess? He goes, 30. I was 23 years old. He called me 30. I was so offended. But the funny thing was, the rest of the week, there were like five other people that said, you look 30. I kept testing people, and they all kept saying 30. Why? Because during my college years, I didn't get a good night's rest. And my body aged quicker. So when I reached 30, I finally said, I now look my age. Hallelujah. I got to preserve, get enough rest so that I look my age for a change. But anyway, you got to get good night's rest. Switch from coffee to tea. That's my suggestion. You know, one thing I, I, I'm learning about tea. I'm, I'm not really into tea yet, but I'm just learning about tea because all these people all of a sudden start buying me tea. 
So I got all these tea gift sets in the, in the recent month. And so I was like, well, I got all this tea. It's, you know, it's, I'll go and throw it away. And then not only tea. This is strange. People got me the tea strainer. So I'm like, oh, I'm too lazy to get a tea strainer. But two people got me tea strainers. So I was like, God, are you telling me something? You want me to drink tea? All right, so I'll drink tea. All right, so I'll drink tea. What's the big deal about tea? Somebody even got me a timer, an hourglass timer that has three hourglasses in it. One for herbal tea, black tea, and green tea. Like, it's like three minutes, five minutes, six minutes. So you can actually measure how much you're brewing your tea. It's crazy, right? I'm going to close my message. All right, hold on. I'm landing. I'm, I'm landing. I'm near the runway right here. I'm near the runway. Just stay with me for a second. Tea. Switch from coffee to tea. You know why? Because coffee is a stimulant. Stimulant. I'm sorry how I'm pronouncing it. Stimulant. And it gets you going. But tea, depending on the tea, mostly it has very low caffeine or no caffeine. It forces you to slow down. So I think the British were onto something. They have a tea culture. And when I went to India, they also, I noticed they have a tea culture. I went to Russia, uh, Kazakhstan, they have a tea culture. A lot of countries in the world that know how to slow down, they have a tea culture. In fact, in, in, uh, the British, sometimes in the middle of the workday, they say, would you like a cup of tea? <laughs> it's tea time. Or you go visit somebody in their corporate office, CEO, and they yeah, would you like some tea? In America, you want some coffee? Hurry up, get out of here. <laughs> but the British, would you like some tea? Would you stay a while? How many lumps of sugar would you like? <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know how they, you know, but... But one thing I noticed about tea, as I've been making, as I've been drinking more tea, it's forcing me to slow down. And it's making me be fully present. Like, a lot of times I'm just racing throughout the day, going from one thing to another, and then the whole day is a blur. But with tea time, I'm like, I know exactly what happened today. And I'm able to process things. And it's helping my creativity. It's helping me to be more compassionate kind, humble, gentle, patient, all five things that I'm lacking right now, all right? Who knew a cup of tea would do so many wonders, all right? So switch from coffee to tea. That's, that's my suggestion. And when you are in a meeting or of some sort, be fully present. Don't get on your phone. Just be fully attentive. And uh, one final suggestion. If you're poor at managing your eight-hour workday, or 12 hours, however long you work day you have. Try cutting up your day into 30-minute chunks. Okay, there's a book called The Power of 30 Minutes, something like that, right? What was the name of, name of the book, honey? The Power of a Half Hour. The Power of a Half Hour. Anyway, I didn't read the book. But the great thing about my wife is I can just ask her. And it's just as good as reading a book. Because she, she has this gift to, like, remember all the key points. So I asked her, like, some of the key points of the book. And she's like, well, look. The concept simple. People can't handle eight hours, but people can manage 30 minutes. And it, and it, it forces you to focus because you know have a, you have a limited amount of time to do that work. And so what I did was I took out my phone. I said, Siri, set the timer 30 minutes. Setting timer to 30 minutes. <laughs> and then Siri starts counting down on the iPhone. There's a computer thing called Siri, right? And so it starts counting down 30 minutes. So I tried it one day. And I just went 30 minutes, and I was, like, focused. I wasn't doing, like, a whole bunch of things. I get very easily distracted because, you know, I, I'm trying to multitask still. And when I was a teenager, I was able to multitask. But later on in life, that thing went away. The anointing lifted. <clears throat> Focus. I'm just doing it. And then, I, and then 
and then the phone went off. So I was like, Siri, 30 more minutes. Set the timer. Counting, 30 minutes. And then I did work again. And then I, I was almost finished. I just knew I needed 30 more minutes. I just said, Siri, set the timer 30 minutes again. I just 30 minutes. And in an hour and a half, I finished what was taking me weeks. And I was like, this is powerful. <laughs> now, have I made a habit of it yet? No, I haven't. Okay, because the other day, I was like going from one thing to another. I was all dizzy. And I was like, oh, Lord, I just want to give up. All right, so uh, if you want to be fully present at your workplace, try chunking out your day into little smaller segments. Schedule a tea time. If you are a manager and you have the power of authority to actually schedule in a tea time, schedule in a tea time for your staff. Maybe you actually can empathize and relate to them and they will start liking you and then they will do better work for you. I'm talking to myself right now. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's it. I'm going to close my message right now. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you are challenging the entire house with wisdom. And Father, it is our desire to walk in wisdom in regards to this limited resource called time. And Father, we often get numb to the time that you've given us on earth, thinking that we have all the time in the world for all these different things. And it prevents us from really being intentional. We fall into habits of procrastination. But Father, I pray that, Lord, as we learn to honor the power of our own presence, we'll learn how to be fully present with you and in your house, fully present with others, and fully present at our workplace. And as we walk in this kind of wisdom, I pray that, Father, you would, I pray that you would continue to place your favor, your presence in our lives. May we be a people of God that hear your voice clearly. A lot of times we're just so anxious or we're just so busy. We're not able to hear your voice. But Father, we desire to be a people that knows how to be productive, but also knows how to be still and know that you are God. Be still and hear what you have to say. We want to be a prophetic people, God. People not oblivious until somebody fills us in, but a people who already have prophetic revelation before we even meet a friend. We're on our way on the subway to meet a friend, and we're asking you for prophetic words about insights about what they're going through. And you give us key words to speak. And we're able to manifest the love of Christ to them. God, make us a, a people who walk in clarity. Make us a people who are prophetic. Make us a people who, are, who know how to be fully present, Lord. Fully present, God. Fully present, God.